I took this song, and I actually um, am not promoting the song. I'm not suggesting you go find the song, but I took this song, and I want to quote lyrics because this tells me exactly what today's youth and culture really thinks about. It says this, and this is a quote from a song. It's on the radio. I am not, it says, blessings on blessings on blessings, look at my life. Man, that's lessons on lessons on lessons. Then it says, I tell the truth, like, Father, forgive me, these are all my confessions. Man, this wasn't luck, it was destined. Is that really a blessing? Just because he has good things? I think not. People think that if things are going well here, they must be blessed and they must be going to heaven, that God's not mad at them. Culture teaches that since everything's all right in the moment, everything must be all right in the future. That's what the rich man in today's text would have assumed as well. But Jesus teaches us very differently, doesn't he? When things seem to be going great, you could still be headed to hell. However, when things are not going so great, when things outwardly seem to be a trial or a challenge, does that mean then that that person is destined to eternity in hell because they have things bad in life? Not at all. Remember, it's not about us and what we do that determines whether we spend eternity in hell or heaven. It's what Christ accomplished on the cross when he gave his life for our sins. That's the most important issue. And then whether we turn to him and believe that in our hearts, that is what defines our eternal address. So I want to read out of Luke 16, 20 through 22 again. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, so that it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man was in hell because he was not right with God. Even though he was religious, and we know he was religious. How do we know that? Because he addressed Abraham as Father Abraham, and because he and his family were familiar with the scriptures. He was well-read, and according to verse 29, he was still not in a right relationship with God. So we know he wasn't right with God because of the way he treated poor Lazarus. He didn't have a heart for him. The rich man ignored the hunger and the hurt that Lazarus had. Even though he was aware of Lazarus' condition, even though he was able to meet the needs, he refused. When we're right with God, we have to remember something. When he said, he said, take action. He said, go. He gives us the ability to help others. He changes our hearts. He works on us from the inside out. When we make a commitment to follow Christ, we view not only our brothers and sisters that are in the body, that are in the church, we view them differently, but we should also view the lost differently as well. There's a process, I understand that, but our hearts are changed, and it happens from the inside out. He gives us more compassion for others. And when we have the means to help others out, what do we do? As Christians, as believers, we do it. We step up and we do it. Now, in a surprising twist, the poor beggar here who, at that time, he would have been considered cursed by God. He was written off. He's carried to Abraham's side, which is a way of saying that he went to heaven, kind of. 
So I want to take a moment here to kind of clarify this term, Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. Maybe you're unfamiliar. So I'd like to share what I learned. And I read this many years ago, and it's always resonated with me. And um, maybe some of you might have remembered, I actually read this out of John Corson's commentary. His son, Ben, actually spoke here back in February. Um, And um, I wanted to kind of read this to you because I think it really just helps us understand um, why we don't talk so much about Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side today um, like was talked about back then. Hell translated in Hebrew is Sheol, which means the place of the grave. And it can be a bit confusing, so hopefully we're going to help clarify. Everyone who died before Jesus was crucified to pay for the sin of mankind went to Sheol. Sheol was divided into two areas that were separated by a huge divide. One side was filled with torment and and fear and just anguish and fire while the other was known as Abraham's bosom or paradise. Those who loved God went to Abraham's bosom. The reason they couldn't go directly to heaven was because Jesus had not yet shed his blood at the cross. So this paradise was kind of like a, a waiting room, if you will, and Abraham would then greet them there. Those who did not believe in God would go to the side with torment and fire though. And even though there was a great gulf that separated on both that separated the two sides, they could still call out to each other. We know that from the text that we read this morning, making the side of torment even worse. They were on the outside looking in. We learn in Ephesians 4 that before Jesus ascended up to heaven, he descended and led those in Abraham's bosom up to heaven. Therefore, Abraham's bosom no longer exists today. So let me also add that this hell that is described here is not the final place for the person who does not believe in Jesus. It'll actually get even worse if that could even be imaginally possible. So I don't have time to develop all of this this morning, so I'm gonna do a very quick overview and and help out a little bit here, is there will be known as what's called the great white throne judgment. And so for anyone who doesn't fully believe in Jesus at the time and accept his gift of salvation, they will then go to hell, which is like kind of this this holding cell. Then after the great white throne judgment, they are cast into Gehenna or outer darkness out of Revelation 20. And my friends, I want to just really clearly say here, and I want you to hear me on this. I've heard that statement I made earlier too often where people would rather party in hell than be bored in heaven. Hell is not going to be a party. We have to really understand that. And as you sit here this morning, And I believe the Lord is putting someone on your heart. It might be you. It might be a friend. It might be a family member. It might be a son. It might be a daughter. And someone who has not made that commitment, someone who has not given their life to Christ, this is the destiny that they have in front of them. Understand the seriousness. I know this is really heavy this morning. And you're like, man, I really wish I missed church today. But I'm telling you, There is, in my opinion, just no greater message than the message of hell other than what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I'm telling you right now, because he went to the cross so that you would not go to hell. So we've got to remember that, and we've got to think about the responsibility of us being in the shoes of the rich man and all of the wealth that he has given us that we have to stop for poor Lazarus. We have to share a word. We have to share the gospel. We have to share our faith, our testimony, and we can't be fearful. We can't be timid, and we can't be ashamed. 
Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we have to live that every single day. By the way, that's not in my notes, so I don't know where I'm at in my notes. But I'm just telling you, the Lord put that on my heart, and I wanted to share it. It's just the reality of what we have to remember. We have to remember that Jesus is the Son of God who came to give his life and then raised his own life from the dead. Hell is your eternal address without him. So maybe you're a believer, and you're sitting there going, whew, I'm not going to hell. Praise the Lord for what he's done. Amen? Amen. Amen. But we have a responsibility. We have to caution our friends. We have to caution our family members, our neighbors, and even our enemies, the people we don't really like, because Jesus loves them too. He created them in his image as well. I know, sometimes hard to believe. But yes, it is true. He did create them in his image as well. Kind of going back to the text, we need to recognize that earthly status had nothing to do with the rich man's eternal destiny here. Um, the same goes for us. The same goes for Lazarus. Lazarus may have suffered many trials and, and hurts in life, but they're not an indicator of God's judgment as many might have thought at that time. The main emphasis of the story, though, is on the rich man who ends up in hell. And from what we learned this morning, um, everything, everyone should know about hell. And it's not a popular subject to preach on. Many churches, they won't preach hell. They won't preach on it. They won't talk about it. Um, Some would say because it could be bad for business. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I serve a Lord who controls the business. Amen? I'm not worried about the message of hell scaring somebody away. I'm more encouraged by what Jesus will do through this message in drawing people to himself. That's what's most important. I want to read Luke 16, 23 through 25 again. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things? And likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. So point number two is hell is eternal torment and agony. It is forever. It is eternal torment and agony. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you're just, you're bragging and you're bragging about our Lord and, and you are just sharing all that he's done for you in your life and you are given just a powerful witness and a powerful testimony. And, you know, people, they'll usually shake their heads in agreement. You might even get an amen here or there and, and they, they love to hear about our Lord's character of grace, of love, peace, mercy, redemption, Bring up judgment, accountability, eternal damnation, hell. Watch your new best friend walk away from you in disgust only to want nothing more to do with you in that conversation. It's over. It's done. We have a responsibility. Yes, our Lord is all of those things. He is grace, love, peace, mercy. He sent his son to die for us for those very reasons. But he is also a Lord of accountability. There has to be an atonement for sin. There has to be a wage that is paid 
for sin. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Kind of like I said in the foundations this morning, this group this morning, when there's sin, somebody has to die. And the good news is someone already has. Jesus came to this world. He walked this earth. He had a public ministry for three and a half years. And then he went to a cross where he was unjustifiably killed, crucified in the most disgusting way, hung from a cross, spilled his blood once, which was enough for your sin, my sin, past, present, and future. Amen? Amen. So people love to hear the good side, but they don't want to hear about the full counsel of God. And there is a full counsel. This is the popular conception of Jesus right here. One who never offends or disturbs us with troubling things like the unending and real torments of hell. Like I said earlier, some churches, some pastors, they refuse to even teach on it or bring it up because they want Sunday mornings to be that feel-good story. I'm here to tell you that even though I'm talking about hell, this is still a feel-good story. This is still a story that glorifies God because it shows what he's done to keep you and I out of hell. You and I, you and me, whatever the proper grammar is. All right, let's notice here how hell is described though so vividly in the story. The rich man is said to be in torment in verse 23. He begged for just the smallest amount of water. He just wanted the smallest amount of water to relieve his suffering. He himself says in verse 24, I am in agony in this fire. Then verse 25, Abraham is also used, he used the word agony to describe the man's condition in hell. In verse 27 and 28, the rich man begs to warn his family about the, uh, repeatedly in the story. Clearly there's a point to this. Jesus wants everyone to know the real truth about suffering in hell. He spoke about it. He warned against, us, uh, against it. He cautioned it. It's meant to be disturbing. It's meant to be disturbing so that we do everything necessary to avoid hell. Now, what can you and I do to avoid hell? Can I go teach 2,500 Bible studies in a year and avoid hell? No way. Can I go serve in the children's ministry to avoid hell? No way. Although, we do need your help. I announced that earlier. I don't want to discourage you. Those things will not help us to avoid hell. What Christ accomplished on the cross is what helps us to avoid hell. We have to turn to him completely and fully. We have to believe. The Bible says if you believe, you will be saved. So let me give you the example. To know of or have an idea of what Christ did is not good enough. You have to fully believe it in your heart to be saved. It's like this. If I tell you this room is on fire and you really believe it because you see smoke, you hear alarms going off, you might even feel the sensation of the heat increasing, you really believe me this room's on fire, you are getting out of here, I'm quite sure, right? And here's the issue. You'll know because you're going to be following me out because I'll be the first one running from the stage to the back of the room. Here's the thing. If I tell you the room's on fire and you don't believe me, you're going to stay sitting where you're at. You're going to just continue to relax and continue to, you know, hang out. You're not going to really act upon what I tell you. 
You got to realize that to believe requires an action on our part, and we have to fully turn our hearts and make that commitment. Okay, so hell is not a good place, but this isn't the only place where the Bible uses such frightening language to describe hell. In Matthew 25, Jesus described hell as a place of outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell's described in the Bible as a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In the book of Revelation, the final judgment is described as a lake of fire. In other places of scripture, Jesus said that it would be better to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea than to go to the unquenchable fire. So here's the point. Every description of hell that we have is one of suffering, torment, and agony. I have yet to find one scripture to describe hell as a party. Not one. So people who make that statement to me clearly are not reading the word of God. (laughs) I don't know where they're getting it from, but there's no description that describes that. So let's take a look at Abraham's words again really quickly in verse 25. But Abraham said, son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Abraham's words in verse 25, they don't suggest that the rich man is being punished in hell and the poor man blessed in heaven because of their financial status in life. The point Abraham's making here is to remind the rich man of how he didn't use his good things, his wealth, to help the needy of whom he was aware. In other words, Abraham is reminding him that he can expect no relief from hell because he's being punished for his own sins. This brings up an important point, which I want to just cover briefly. Everyone should know about hell. Sometimes people wonder, well, how could a good God send people to hell? And I don't have time to kind of cover that question in detail, but let me point out something to you. If you think about this, no one ever asks, how could that judge send that murderer to prison for life? No one asks that question, do we? It's interesting when people use that defense of, well, if God loves us and he has mercy and he has grace and, you know, Bill, he's all these things that you describe him to be, why would he send anybody to hell? They're missing the point. They are sending themselves to hell by the choices that they made. And clearly it's the one main choice, and that choice not to follow Jesus is is what's sending them to hell. So I wanted to point that out. All right. Luke 16, 26. And besides all of this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. This, uh, This verse tells us, the third thing that we should really know about hell. The third thing is there's no hope in hell. None whatsoever. Once it's done, it's done. Abraham explains to the rich man that there is a great chasm between heaven and hell. In other words, there's no hope of crossing over from one place to to another. His destiny is eternally set. There's no hope of escape or relief. Hell's not like a prison where you're going to be paroled or pardoned at some point um, or simply kind of do your time and then be released. Hell is forever and it is inescapable. There's no second chances. God is not going to change his mind on the subject. 
He has written it. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to go, wait a minute, I'm going to rewrite the script and the ending of this story. He's already written it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will in no way pass away. His word is forever. Keep that in mind. There's no hope in hell. There's no way to get out. Some people might want to risk it. Some people are like, well, I'm really having fun in this life. I'm living the life of the rich man. I'm loving the parties. I'm loving hanging out. I'm loving the lifestyle. I love what I'm doing. And you know what? I'm going to have to give all of that up if I give my life to Jesus. So you know what I'm going to do? In the last moments of my life, because I've heard you, preacher. I've heard all the messages. In the last moments of my life, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give my life to Christ at that very moment. Good luck. If you are so lucky to be able to do that, good luck. But here's what I'll tell you. Death comes in an instant. The Bible teaches us that it is appointed that every man shall die. Here's a staggering statistic that is unproven. One out of one people will die. Unless, everybody knows where I'm going here, we are caught up with the Lord in the rapture of the church first. So should the Lord tarry, we will die. And we will die, and we don't know when. Raise your hand if you know exactly when you're going to die. I know people where the doctors have said, you've got two weeks, and they go on to live a couple more years. I know people that um, have been near death and are walking around strong and healthy because our Lord Jesus is still in the miracle business today. Amen? So here's what I want to tell you. The same goes for you don't know how much time you have left. You could be faced with an eternal address of heaven or hell immediately leaving this service. Somebody could fall out right here. Now, I hope we have a doctor. Maybe we'll get you some help. But it could happen right here and now. We don't know. So why would we gamble that? Why would we gamble with eternity? It just makes me crazy when I hear people say that. There's no help in hell. Furthermore, there's a Christian life here in this world that God wants us to enjoy and live that is just beautiful to walk with him here in this world. We have so many blessings. You know, when I think of blessings, I don't think of the material things that are named in the scripture. I think of this. I think of the privilege and the opportunity and the voice that the Lord has given me to share the gospel, the gift that he has given. That is a blessing for me. I think of the blessing of having someone come to me and say, you know what, Bill? That word you spoke has made such a difference in my life. And it's hard for me to, you know, hear that because it's not about me and it's not my words. I try to take that step back and let the Holy Spirit truly guide those words and allow him because it's him that does all the work. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a voice. It is the work of the Holy Spirit and I give him all the glory and all the credit but it is a blessing to be part of it, amen? It's a blessing to witness it and to see that you had a part, the Lord chose you to have a conversation with somebody who was going to hell when they woke up that day to share a word and a testimony to know through the security of salvation through what our Lord Jesus accomplished that he used you to change their eternal address from hell to heaven, Amen? That's a blessing. All right, wrapping up here, Luke 16, 27 through 31. Then he said, 
I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and they have the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So what is the fourth thing that everyone needs to know about hell? It's avoidable. It is completely avoidable. So while it's true that these verses teach us that God will not give people supernatural signs and wonders to get them to repent. This verse also teaches that a person can avoid hell if they listen, if they keep to God's word and they repent. What does it mean to listen to God's word? What does God's word say to do? The Bible tells us to trust in and commit to the following, to following Jesus Christ. And those who do this may still struggle with sin, may still have challenges, but when they die, they will enter the joy of heaven forever instead of experiencing the agony, the torture, the torment of hell forever. The choice is yours, the choice is mine. So I know hell's not a popular or pleasant subject. What is it that everybody should know? Let me remind you. Number one, just because things seem to be going great here on earth, hell may be in your future. Hell is a place of eternal torment and agony. Hell is a place without hope, but hell can be avoided if a person listens to God's word, repents, and turns to Christ. So maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're saying to yourself, man, kind of had some points that were good, but I really wish I wasn't here this morning because you hit me right between the eyes. Well, let me tell you, I'm glad you're here. And more importantly, I believe that every single person in this room can relate in some way to what we've opened up and read this morning and what Jesus is teaching. I believe every person is here this morning because God loves us so much, he wanted us to hear this message. I believe he has every one of us here for a specific reason. Check this out. Jesus doesn't want us to go to hell. How do we know that? How do you know? You might say, well, Bill, how do you really know that? Like, did he tell you that? Yeah, he did tell me that. He told you that too. Check this out. First Timothy chapter two, verses three through six says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking this out and you're like, well, am I Lazarus at times? Have I been the rich man at times? Here's the good news. The good news is if you have placed your faith in Jesus and you've been the rich man and you've walked by, Jesus paid the price for that as well. You can be forgiven. It is a process. None of us are perfect. None of us are in our glorified state. We make mistakes. We fall. I know I certainly do. I said this this morning. I'll say it again. Paul makes the claim of being the chief sinner. I give him a good run for his money. 
Just ask my wife. She'll tell you, because <laughs> she knows the intimate details of my life. Here's the thing. You're in one of a few groups. I believe that. So maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know where I'm at. Let me tell you. One group is you're saved. You have placed your faith in Jesus. You're walking with him. And when you die, you have 100% assurance that your last breath on earth will be your first breath in heaven with him. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? Amen. Amen. If that's you, I want to encourage you to share your riches. I want to encourage you to pray this morning that the Lord give you boldness, that you can share with someone who needs to hear about Jesus and what he has done for you and what he will do for someone else who without him would be considered going to hell. Think of that. So I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be bold. Think of the family member. Think of the friend. If that's you, that's how I'm going to ask you to pray this morning. Maybe you're sitting there and you might have thought you were saved, but you're not really sure. You don't have that assurance to know that you have committed your life to Jesus. You're not walking with them. Maybe one point you did walk with them and you've fallen away. Maybe you've kind of entered back into the desires of this world and your God has become the party, the hobby, the whatever it is, and you need to return to him. That's how I'm going to ask you to pray this morning. I'm going to pray that you, I'm going to ask you to pray that you come into a new relationship with, with the Lord that is real, that is fresh and renewed. Maybe you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've been putting it off. Maybe you're like, I'm going to put that off till the deathbed. I'm going to put that off to the end. I'm going to live life and then come to Jesus. I've already told you, it's a bad gamble. Maybe you've been putting it off and you just kind of think, I don't know if I can do this. You're right, you can't. You can't. All you have to be able to do is say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. And he will enter your life. He will come into your heart. He will take up a residence in your heart. All of the junk, all of the stuff that we have in our life, he will clean it up. Don't make the mistake of thinking, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get right this way and maybe I'll do what Bill said and I'll go serve in the children's ministry. That'll make me right and I'm going to clean up and get good and then I'll make a commitment to follow Jesus. It doesn't work that way. He wants you to come to him as you are right now, where you sit. He wants to meet you right where you're at. And if you're kind of feeling in one of these categories, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to your heart right now. No matter where you're at, either you're a believer and you want to pray to be bold and to make sure that you are sharing the riches, whether you need to make a return to the Lord because you once believed and you've fallen away, or whether you have never made a commitment before, you're in one of those categories, I guarantee it. There's only two eternal addresses, heaven and hell. That's it. Those are the choices. So as I close, I want to pray, and where do you see yourself this morning?